It's lovely to be with you again. It's been a good couple of years um, since I was last with you. I'm basically the same guy, just a bit greyer, um, but that's me. Um, and um, uh, as you can imagine, uh, we've been trying to navigate um, the past 18 months or so, and I'm going to reference that quite a bit here this morning. I've got a little PowerPoint slide to show you, um, so I can show you where um, I've been spending the past 18 months when it comes up on the screen, all being well. Um, it should come up there, a picture of my cabin at the end of the garden, which is where I have been living. Burgers and big emotions, that's for this morning. And this is my cabin at the end of the garden, uh, where I've basically been living, uh, because I have four um, growing up children, and that seems to be the quietest place. And um, just like, as I imagine you are, we've been just trying to navigate um, these strange days in which we live. It feels to me like the world is in turmoil, isn't it? Um, it's uh, just at the beginning of this month that Emma contracted COVID uh, along with one of my uh, other sons, and so we had to put them into isolation. So Emma spent 10 days in isolation in our loft. Well, I should say loft conversion. Uh, I keep saying loft because it, it makes it sound like I left her up there, you know, with the Christmas decorations and all the suitcases. It's a very nice loft conversion with an ensuite, and I, I slept on the floor in the lounge. So we've been navigating all of that. Uh, and then even on Friday, Emma and I had this bizarre conversation about how much diesel did we have left in the car, and was it going to be enough to get to Hatfield, and then quite importantly to us, get back again, um, because the world had gone mad once again, and even driving through Hatfields, you know, you, you couldn't buy diesel anywhere here for love nor money. They're turbulent, turbulent days, aren't they, that we live in? And as we're at the King's Arms, the church I come from, trying to come out from all of that, we're trying to navigate some, some big questions like how do you be church family together um, as we slowly emerge from our bunkers? I was talking to one of my friends and I said, you know, it's this odd feeling like we're all, you know, figuring out how to do life now we emerge from our bunkers. And he says, speak for yourself, Paul. I'm very happy in my bunker and I intend to stay there. I thought, okay, well, we've got to navigate that as well. And we're asking ourselves questions like, how do we connect? Uh, how do we relate? Uh, how do you do family and community life in the middle of social distancing? And we face some significant challenges with that. Um, so at King's Arms, um, well, we've had um, a bunch of people return to church and a whole bunch of people who haven't. Uh, we no longer, right now, have any youth work on a Sunday morning because we don't have the team for that. I'll tell you what most upsets me as well is we don't have coffee and cake anymore. You guys do, so you're on another level to us. We, we haven't been able to provide that yet. So we're just trying to negotiate all of these different challenges, aren't we? And so with that in mind this morning, I wanted to talk about the subject of one anothering. Um, one anothering, which is a, a biblical word for our care and our commitment uh, to, to each other. Uh, and in the Greek, it's just one word, but in the, in the English, it's two. And I want to talk very practically this morning about some of those challenges to that one anothering that we face right now, both um, external and internal. And because it's, it's such an important theme through scripture, uh, it's a word that's used 100 different times in 94 verses, so it's a big deal. Uh, a third of them are about unity, another third of the verses are about love, 15 of them are about humility, and four of them about greeting one another with a holy kiss, which you really shouldn't do right now in COVID times, okay? It was culturally a bit suspect anyway, but now it's really off limits, okay? Um, and in particular, I want to look at how we apply one anothering in these strange days. 
Uh, how do you do one anothering in the world of social distancing? What does that look like? And how do we get over the obstacles to that? And I want to give us all some understanding of what might be going on beneath the surface and then look at some solutions. But rather than look at all 100 references, you'll be pleased to know we're just going to focus on a little bit. So, Ems, do you want to come up? So, Ems is just going to read um, scripture for us. It's going to come up on the screen. And sometimes the chapter divisions um, in the New Testament aren't always helpful. They were there, put there at a later date. So I want to give us a bit of a run-up to a few verses in Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to read for Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, and then on from there. So, Ems. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Thanks, Simon. So like all of us, uh, I guess, there haven't been a lot of things to look forward to over the past 18 months. And even sometimes the things that we were looking forward to then got snatched away from us for different reasons. Um, and so th there's been like lots of times where there's not much to do and not much to look forward to. I remember one week in lockdown, uh, the trip to the bottle bank was the moment of big excitement that week. That was as good as it got. Um, and so you can imagine that back in March, um, the plan for us to take all of our kids um, out to the drive-through for dinner uh, counting that as a restaurant of sorts, was a big deal. It was something we talked about in the week leading up to it. Except that when we got to the drive-thru, we realised that the rest of the whole world had had the same idea, and the queue was huge. And so we, we drove up back to the back of the queue, which was like a couple of counties further back, and uh, started to wait for our dinner. And for what hours, it seemed like we were just literally just crawling along, barely making any progress in this queue. And uh, to say that my boys, my teenage boys, were hungry would be an understatement. Anybody else raise teenage boys? Wave a hand in the air. You know what I'm talking about. Hangry is a very real medical condition. And it reached the point that I thought, these guys are so hungry in the back seat here, there's, there's a real possibility they might eat each other, or, or possibly me. Um, and then when we were about 10 cars nearing the end of the, the line, uh, we came to a, a sort of a junction in the road with the queue when someone nipped in front of us and, and took our place in the queue. And, and I'm British, and you know, queue jumping should be followed with a prison sentence as far as I'm concerned. Um, and and I, was, I was hungry, I was tired, I was frustrated, and I just lost it in the, in the queue to the, to the fast food restaurant. I was livid 
at the injustice of this thing. How could they possibly do this? Who did they think they are? What made them more important than me? So in my passive aggressive British way, I drove right up to their bumper and I could just smell my blood boiling. And I was about to get out of the car and it was only Emma's hand on my arm saying, darling, don't do it, that stopped things getting worse. Passive aggressive was about to become aggressive aggressive. And uh, I realized that I was just absolutely out of control. And, um, you know, if, if you were sat in the car with me and didn't know what I did for a living, <laughs> you know, church pastor probably wouldn't have been your first guess, if you know what I mean. Uh, and then, then from the back seat, um, my kids um, <laughs> started to make suggestions. Um, so one of them said, uh, well, Dad, maybe the driver had joined at the junction and thought that was the end of the queue, so perhaps they didn't realise uh, that they queue jumped. And then one of my other kids said, uh, well, Dad, perhaps they're an NHS worker and maybe they're trying to get food after a really long shift. You know, when your teenagers tell you you're overreacting, it's time to take a really good long look in the mirror. And in the end, the burgers were fine, uh, but they weren't good enough to take away the unpleasant taste I'd left in my family's mouths. What was going on? Well, of course, this wasn't really about waiting another two minutes for my dinner. It was about everything else. It was about the restrictions. It was about the weight of concern I had for people in the church. It was about the tension that I was living with. Perhaps above all else, it was about me running on empty and having nothing left. And I use that one little example just to illustrate what so many of us have been through over the past 18 months or so, that there's a lot going on beneath the surface and sometimes different things will spark us off. A year and a half of lockdown and contending with this virus has had different implications for all of us and we're naive if we think it hasn't. And every now and then, things will spill over in different situations. And if we're to do what Ephesians 4 talks about here, about bearing with one another in love, as this passage says, then we need to understand what's really going on. As David writes, to have truth in the inmost parts of our being. Because yes, whilst there is light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine rollout and various things lifting restrictions-wise, to a greater or lesser degree, all of us have experienced loss over this past 18 months, and there's going to be implications as a result of that. So if, if even this morning, even if the past 18 months has been a joy and a delight, the chances are there's going to be people around you in your life for whom it has been somewhat different. And the more understanding we can have, then the better we're going to be effective and the better we're going to be at bearing with one another and loving one another. Uh, so I'm after understanding this morning, because if you can have understanding, then you can have compassion and you can have empathy, and then you can bear with one another in love. So what I'm going to do is uh, just take you through four, there are many more, but four, briefly, four symptoms of the world in which we live that could be obstacles to us then loving with one another and bearing with one another in love. So we can go through the four like a little list, and you can sort of tick, tick them off or not, grade yourself, do you think that's me or not me? Or if that's not entertaining enough, feel free to score the person next to you. Is this an issue for them? Uh, that's always a lot more entertaining, particularly in a marriage, I find. So uh, here's, the, here's the four. Are you ready for number one? Um, the first symptom of an impact uh, from this pandemic on us is this, is a reduced capacity. Um, probably the only thing that most of us have got in common at the moment is that everyone seems to be exhausted. 
Uh, you know, we struggle to have energy from very many things. Uh, anybody here feeling more tired than they normally would? You know, yeah, okay, a, a good number of hands. Um, why is that? I'd suggest to you that mostly it's not physical exhaustion. Uh, working from home during the pandemic uh, has meant that some days the furthest I walked was to the fridge and back, uh, which was not terribly good for my health. Now, I suggest to you that our reduced capacity comes from the psychological and the emotional strain of the past 18 months. If you think about it, we've spent the past year and a half facing an invisible threat. And the fact that it's an invisible virus is significant uh, because on the extreme, some people respond by thinking, well, if I can't see it, well, then there's nothing actually to worry about. Whereas other people on the other end of the spectrum are thinking, well, the fact that it's invisible makes it all the scarier. So it's, it's you know, even more severe as a, as a result. And so there's been this dichotomy, there's, there's, there's been this tension between these two points of view. And for many of us on this end of the spectrum who can, can, are concerned that there's an invisible threat out there, it means that all of our self-protection mechanisms kick into gear. And so for many of us, we've been on high alert uh, for long periods of this past 18 months. And things that used to be safe and normal, like going to the supermarket, all of a sudden aren't anymore. And uh, all it takes is, you know, you're, you're in the fruit and veg aisle and someone leans across you and coughs as they get the bananas and suddenly, you know, you're, you're on high alert again. And there's the tension of living with that. On top of that, many of us have known the additional strain of stretch finances, uh, job insecurity, uh, maybe working in high-risk areas like at the hospital or lots of people contact or the trauma of losing someone. Uh, or, or also the, the challenge of home education. Any parents relate to that? How many people had to home educate their kids? You deserve all our prayer. Uh, I, I feel your pain. Uh, trying to do GCSE maths with my 15-year-old was deeply, deeply challenging for me, and I probably need prayer for that. So you can see why all it takes is for someone to send you a sharp email or snaps at you or cuts in in the queue in McDonald's, and it gets this big reaction from you. Uh, what I'd suggest, though, to you is when those things happen, when somebody reacts that way towards you, maybe just assume that the problem isn't you. Maybe it's to do with their emotional exhaustion and what's going on for them. So that's the, the first thing, recognising the, the strain that this has taken on us, on our energy levels. The second area that's affected us is the impact of isolation. Um, uh, for some, this may have been minor disappointments, maybe a concert you didn't, want, didn't get to that was cancelled or um, a weekend holiday postponed or whatever it is. But for others of us, we felt this isolation almost like a physical pain. So for some people, if they live alone or grandparents who've not been able to hug their grandchildren, they feel it very, very deeply. And there's a toll to that. And along with that loneliness, there's also then a disconnection. Uh, so we may feel disconnected from friends or work colleagues. We may feel detached from work or from church itself. We may feel jaded or even a bit cynical. Um, and for some of us, it feels like, well, life has been easy for other people, but for us, it's had very, very real challenges. And so there's a consequence to that kind of emotional hibernation that many of us have done for the past year and a half or more. So that's the second one, uh, the impact of isolation. Thirdly, um, this one might surprise you a little bit, but it's trust. I'd suggest to you that on the big picture, on the macro scale, 
we've seen a reduction, a depletion in trust in society all around us over the past 18 months. Uh, we've had false hopes that have then led to nothing. Remember when Christmas was cancelled? Uh, we've had false information and conspiracy theories. We've had racial tensions, remember that? Uh, we've had the most contested US election in history. And then there's the small issue of Brexit um, that is extremely controversial. And the queues at the petrol stations today, I would suggest, are an indication of a lack of trust. Uh, we can't be sure that there's enough fuel so we'll fill up now. The environment around us is one of mistrust. And when you combine that with isolation, it becomes an unhealthy mix. In this climate, small things can then become big things. What did they mean by that email? What's behind that? How come they never message me? I always have to message them. Anybody else had that thought? Uh, we can read into the silence, and if we're not careful, we build up a narrative around us. Um, bear in mind, too, that it's much easier to become uh, angry at a person than it is at a, an invisible virus. So we have to watch that we don't transfer our emotions about a situation onto a person, be that a relative, a friend, or the person who jumps in the queue at McDonald's, because that would be really immature. Um, and then the final symptom is a loss of purpose. Um, obviously, these past 18 months have been the most disruptive since World War II. Um, many of the things we've taken for granted are no longer there. And all of our plans have been replaced by uncertainty. So we come to this grinding halt, and if we're not careful, we can become uncertain, not just about the next few months, but about the very course of our lives. So right now, in one survey, 41% of people are considering changing career, 41%. They're asking questions like, where am I going in life? What am I actually doing? What do I really believe? Uh, people are asking, where's God in all of this? And what should church look like? Uh, people are asking uh, all these kind of big questions. And psychologists would refer to these as existential questions. They're kind of deep questions. And they're legitimate. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking those questions. But what's important is that we don't just ask the questions, but we resolve the emotions that go with them. So, for instance, if I'm thinking about making a career choice, it's important that I don't just make the decision, but I also deal with my feelings about my current job and career and resolve anything there, perhaps a sense of disappointment or whatever related to them. So those are just four, uh, very briefly, implications of where we're currently at and things that might apply to us. In a moment, I'm going to look on at some biblical solutions to those. But why don't you just very briefly turn to the person next to you and say, look, I've got number one and number three, or turn to them and say, you've got all four, you really need help. Um, turn to the person next to you, have a very quick conversation. Which ones apply to you? One, two, three, or four, or all of them? Okay, let's just see how relevant this is, okay? I'm not going to embarrass anybody, don't worry. But how, how many people in the room got uh, at least one of those? They said, yeah, okay, great, okay. And, and just, just gently nod at me if you got all four. Okay, all right, yeah, okay, the ministry team will be round in a moment. Um, so we've established that many of these things apply to us. So what are, we, what are we going to do about them? How do we resolve these? How do we move past them so that we can love one another? And in the time that remains, I just want to focus on a couple of things for us. The first solution to these problems I've outlined, the number one thing I would say, actually comes in Paul's incredible prayer 
in the verses previous to this. This is where he says, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 4. And there's so much that I could pull out, but verse 17 really stands out to me. And uh, it's just a lovely phrase. Paul writes this. He prays that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Let me just read that again. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Let that sink into your spirit. Isn't that what we need right now? Our roots to go down deep into God's love and keep us strong. Because that's the source of our ability to love one another. That's what nourishes and fills us up. That's what takes us from subsistence into overflow. Because otherwise you're going to be looking for other people to give you what you need so that you can then love. You'll instead be looking for weak, fallible people who are just coming out the back of a pandemic to give you what you need. And that's a recipe for disaster. Our primary dependence has to be on him. Uh, Let me try and illustrate. Um, One of the things I didn't tell you was that in February of last year, uh, my parents, uh, who are getting quite elderly now, went out for a seven-week trip to Melbourne to visit my brother, um, because he lives out there. And uh, they're still there. Um, So they've... They, they got locked down, and they've now decided to stay in Australia, and we're in the process of selling their house and all their belongings and everything else. Um, so another unintended consequence. But a few years ago, my brother from Melbourne um, sent me a 50th birthday present, and um, uh, it was, I didn't know what it was, but um, it got lost in the post. He sent it via a courier, and we just sort of wrote it off and thought, oh, well, that's just one of those things. And I referenced this um, in a talk I was doing at church about my brother living in Australia and, you know, sometimes things don't work out and uh, the birthday present didn't arrive, you know. And um, anyway, um, a few weeks later, I bumped into a guy in in our foyer uh, at church, a guy I had not met before, and to be honest, I haven't seen him since. And I just got chatting to him to welcome him. And as I was talking to him, he said, uh, he said um, oh, you're, you're Paul Johnson, aren't you? And I said, yeah, that's right. And, he, and he, then he said, rather strangely, he said, well, where do you live? And I said, well, I, I live on Green Lane um, in Clapham. And he said, that's weird, because I live on Green Lane in Wixom's, which is another village just down the road. And he said, it's the weirdest thing. A package arrived at my house addressed to Paul Johnson. He said to me, I think I've got your birthday present. (laughs) And he had. (laughs) My birthday present had turned up at his house and then he passed it on to me. And and it came in this this box here. It's actually um, two bottles of um, Australian and uh, New Zealand wine, um, which we drank ages ago. Um, But but this is the box it came in. So I thought I'd bring this as an illustration. I realised as I came in, actually, it looks like I'm carrying around my granddad's ashes. But no, it was actually wine. Um, and, and so it's the bizarrest thing. I mean, what are the chances of that? That this guy, and I've never seen him since, had my birthday present. And I, I felt like God was trying to get my attention. So I started to pray, and I felt God say this to me. Paul, you're not just a victim to fate or circumstances. I notice you. I know where you live. And you won't miss out on a single thing I've got for you. The Father was drawing me into a life of faith and not self-pity. Why do I tell you that story? Well, it's this. The reason is this. He's fixing things and he knows your address. The Father has got your address. So no matter what people say or do to you, he sees you 
and he loves you. And you are special to him because you're the only one of you he's got. You are made unique. Acts 17 says this. It says, he knows the times and he knows the places of your dwelling. He sees you and sees your situation. And allow the truth of that to go deep because our roots can go deep into his love to then invigorate us for all the things that he's got. He knows you. He gets your circumstances. You might be misunderstood by every other person in this church, but he gets you. He gets your makeup. He understands. That's the source of your love and acceptance and energy for for others, not what other people can give you. That's all a bonus. But the real root of your capacity is found in him, not how others perceive you or receive you. It's what he's considers about you. You are seen by your God. So that's the first thing, and there's so much you could say about that, but you know, maybe just uh, camp out in those, that verse from Acts 17, that he knows the times and places you're dwelling. You are here in Hatfield now because he wants you to be here, and he's got purposes to that. He sees it all. But time's against us, so let me just give you the second key to loving one another, bearing with one another well, as we come out the back of this pandemic. Um, And it's very simply this. The second key to one anothering in a post-pandemic world is simply listening. Simply listening. Uh, James says this in James 1, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, There was a study uh, done by eSurance, which is a um, a big car insurance firm, and they were interviewing... um, drivers at uh, motorway service stations and um, they asked one of the questions on it was um, are you an above average driver you know how good a driver are you Uh, 76% of people interviewed said that they were an above average driver um, which kind of doesn't make sense really the majority of people think they're above average driver Um, when it comes to listening it's a bit a little bit like that Um, I think many of us believe that we're a really uh, good listener I used to think that I was a really good listener Um, And then back in March, I completed four years of study to become a counsellor. I did some Christian and uh, non-Christian training to get my diploma. And uh, I realised that I'm not half as good a listener as I used to think I was. Um, Let me just try and illustrate uh, for you. I've got two numbers that are going to come up on the screen, um, all being well next. 125 and 400. What do you think the significance of those numbers are when it comes to listening? Any, Any guesses? Any ideas? It's exactly that, yes. So, so the, the number 125 is the average speaking speed of, of someone, so an adult talking to you, average speaking speed. Um, whereas the number 400 is the average thinking speed, so it's your mental capacity. So most of, most of us speak 125 words a minute, but you have the capacity to understand someone at 400 words a minute. That's your thinking speed. So that means that you're using less than a third of your processing capacity when you're listening to somebody, less than a third. So that's how my teenagers can play a video game, watch YouTube and chat on their phone to their friends all at the same time because they've got the capacity to do that. That doesn't mean to say it's not annoying, it's really annoying, but they have the ability to do that. Um, Their brains are enabled to do that. So... I want to suggest to you that what you do with your spare God-given 
mental capacity when you're talking to someone is really important. We need to be deliberate about using that spare few hundred words a minute and use it in the right kind of way. Uh, If we're honest, most of us tend to use that spare 70% to, to think about us and not the person in front of us. So we think, oh, this reminds me of when. Uh, you know, do you remember think that? They say they've been to Wales. You think, when did I last go to Wales? And you're starting to think about your holiday in Wales, or whatever it was. Or we're thinking, what should I say next? Or what advice can I give this person? Or, if you're me, uh, what's, I wonder what's for dinner. Um, all these different things go through our head. How do you tend to use your spare 70%? Because properly listening is how connection happens. That spare capacity also allows us to hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying for that person. And I'd like to suggest to you the way we use our remaining headspace is on the person in front of us. Uh, And particularly, the question I most ask myself is this, what's life like for you? What's it like to be you? To try and really put myself in their shoes. Because we have a world full of good speakers. We have marketing and messaging, we have slogans and sound bites. And don't get me wrong, we need good preaching and teaching, but we have very few good listeners. And I'd suggest to you that properly listening to someone is a way of demonstrating kindness, as Emma referred to. It's a way of demonstrating love to someone. Because bearing with someone is not the same as tolerating them. It's about loving them, and properly listening is loving them. So not just to listen to the words they're saying, but also to the emotions behind it. What's the feeling behind that? And the more you can do that, as simple as it sounds, the more impact you're going to have. Yesterday, uh, we were bringing the shopping in from the car. Emma ended up speaking to our neighbour just over the sort of low picket fence for over an hour as she poured out her heart, uh, all the things that are going on in her life and concern for her daughter and many other different things. Spent an hour just loving and listening to this woman. That's making a difference. Uh, They're deeply atheist couple who are actually warming up to our values if they don't yet know our God. It's that listening to people is the way in to love them and to make an impact for the gospel. So I'm aware time um, is, is coming to an end here, but let me just draw the threads together. Let me draw a conclusion for us here. I'm saying this. The world is still in turmoil and maybe in turmoil for some time to come. There's anxiety, there's mistrust, there's disconnection all around us. But if we can ensure that our roots go deeply into him, then we'll still be able to love one another deeply. That's what made the difference to the Roman church in the first century. That's what made them stand out in the world around them. And then if we do that, we'll be able to bear with one another, listen to one another, and be patient to one another. And if we do those things, then Paul says in the same passage, we'll be able to maintain unity and keep the bond of peace. And if we can maintain unity, well, Psalm 133 says that their God will command a blessing over us. Don't you want that blessing? I want that blessing. Because the bottom line is, here in Hatfield, just as in Bedford, you don't have to be a superstar. What makes the difference in this church will not be people's individual gifting. It'll be about how well you love one another, because that's what will command the blessing. You don't have to be a superstar. You just have to be able to work with other people and love them well. And in doing so, you'll demonstrate something radically different to the world around us. Why don't I pray for us as we land? Yeah? Perhaps just close your eyes if that just helps you concentrate. Yeah, Holy Spirit, do you just come and rest across this room?
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray for every soul here that has been um, impacted through this pandemic, Lord God. I pray for um, every one of us who's lost something, whether it's an opportunity or time or tragically lost a loved one. I pray, Father, God of all comfort, would you come and draw close? I pray, Father, would we grieve well and process well so that we might be whole, because the world needs whole Christians. Father, I pray as a result of that, Lord God, through patience, through love, through kindness, this church might be a shining beacon to the community around, a place of tolerance, of acceptance, of love, of speaking the truth but in love to one another, a place where people come in a mess and get healed up and, and then see what your purpose is for their lives. Father, I pray, would you gather people that need to be here, Lord God? Would you use each one of us? I pray for more of those conversations over the garden fence type thing that Emma had. I pray for conversations at school gates and in workplaces. I pray, Father, for you to use this company of people. I thank you, Father, there's destiny here. You know our address. You know where we live and you put us here with a purpose in mind. I pray, Father, I speak fruitfulness over this church. Fruitfulness and blessing, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.